0: A little while ago, New York Governor Kathy Hochul said that she was going to be easing mask mandates. Well, it looks like she's not the only one uh, rolling things back because Joe Biden is taking off his mask. Yes, indeed. The feckless, fearless uh, foul-up is uh, now deciding that uh, at the end of uh, uh, endless protests that are growing by the hour throughout the United States, Canada, and other parts of the world, guess what? the pandemic is about to be declared under control. Uh you know, uh if you don't believe me, listen to what the report is here.
1: Facing growing
0: pressure to ease up
1: on pandemic restrictions, the White House insisted Wednesday it is making plans for a less disruptive phase of the national virus response, but impatient states including Democratic New York Made clear they aren't waiting for Washington as public frustration grows. Governor Kathy Hall announced that New York will end its COVID-19 mandate requiring face coverings in most indoor public settings, but will keep it for schools. Illinois announced the same. Earlier this week, New Jersey, Connecticut and Delaware all disclosed plans to join states that have lifted or never had mask requirements for their schools. And Massachusetts will follow suit at the end of the month. All but Massachusetts have governors who are Democrats, like President Joe Biden,
0: who is a... (laughs) I'll let you decide what Joe Biden is. (laughs) Well, uh, it seems that Anthony Fauci on a serious note has also said the National CDC uh, Center for Infectious Diseases... Uh, office has also said basically the same thing, that uh, uh, the the pandemic is uh, uh, slowly becoming under control. Now, another problem that is rising up from uh, nowhere and uh, that no one expected is, of course, uh, did you see when they injected you with uh, whatever they injected you with, that there was a warning label? Well, according to uh, Zero Edge, a, a news report uh, that, that has come out that uh, very quietly, very, very um, uh, clearly, that uh, the agency that is required to take a look at the safety of food and drugs, medicines, uh, as just said, they will de- delay production of the first monthly batch of 55,000 pages of vaccine data response. Don't get it from me. Get it from the computer. Computer, you speak. You have say, what are they telling you? What are they telling you?
1: Two weeks ago, the FDA begged a Texas judge to delay production on the first monthly batch of 55,000 pages of COVID-19 vaccine data submitted to the agency by Pfizer. Originally, the agency was set to produce just 500 pages per month.
0: Okay. So what exactly uh, is these 500 pages supposedly containing? Uh, These include risks with regard to the COVID vaccine. Um, Basically, what they're saying is that uh, Fiverr has added a new page and particular items deep in its business risk disclosures uh, according to trials data that has come out and these include risks of about the uh, vaccination and of course the new medication that they've come up with so basically uh, what they're saying uh, the risks and uncertainties go to the effects of developing um, well you know I'm, I'm going to attach this in the show notes, and uh, these are for you know potential treatments, as well as for vaccinations, and phase for data uh, shows that under the BTN162 program, the uh, paluxoid and other future treatments. In any of the studies in pediatrics, adolescents, or adults in the real world evidence, including the probability of unfavorable clinical or clinical or safety data. So basically what they're saying is they really don't know what the effects are still on many of these uh, you know, supplemental vaccines and other things that have... Um, out of the pipeline made by your friends at Pfizer. Well, you know, it was a rushed vaccine. Uh, Basically, they've added language warning of unfavorable clinical or safety data that may impact their business. So you see, this isn't something for you, the patient who happened to get injected. No, this is for the investor so that the investor knows that there may be some issues because they have to put this for the disclosure as far as the stock market is concerned. So in in, in other basic, simple language, and what's, coming out here is uh... some very technical language to protect investors um, the quality of preclinical and cl- clinical safety data included and including an audit or inspection so that basically somebody is auditing and inspecting their data you kind of get it? Basically, something isn't 100% perfect with the product. You know what that means? That means if you're a shareholder, you need to be aware that your product may not be as wonderful as advertised. Does that mean it's bad? Does that mean things can go wrong? Of course it does. Does it mean it's 100% bad that there's nothing good coming out of it? No, that's not true. Um, It's just part of the entire process. Now, you know, the process is the process. It is um, things that that do come out. Um, And and this is something that that you're going to have to look at it and decide as an investor what exactly, uh, what means. So I'm not going to try and prejudge or say anything, I'm just going to put a link in the description for this post. Basically, going back to the main topic at hand. So what they are essentially saying at the White House is that they are going to be rolling back more of the restrictions um, to to be able to um, come out with uh, a more open situation regard the uh, issues on the safety of um, or rather uh, issues, Regarding the uh, safety of, of things uh, coming out uh, with with uh, the uh, vaccine, so I'm trying to find that exact statement from the White House briefing earlier. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, we can't seem to find it or what it says exactly. And uh, the process is basically being, you know, put aside for now. Uh, so let's listen to part of the briefing with the uh, White House team.
2: Good morning and thanks for
0: joining us. Today, we'll start with an update from Dr. Walensky on the state of the pandemic and CDC's COVID-19 surveillance efforts. Dr. Walensky.
3: Good morning. Thanks, Jeff. I'd like to start by walking you through today's data. The current seven-day daily average of cases is about 247,300 cases per day, a decrease of about 44% over the previous week.
0: So, 44% decrease over the previous week, That is what they're saying.
3: Last week, CDC publicly released national wastewater surveillance data, tracking more than 400 testing sites across the country in 212 communities, which we will double to more than 800 testing sites in the next four weeks. On this map, you can see the testing sites that we monitor and trends in the levels of the virus. Communities in blue have decreasing levels of virus, while communities in red and orange have increasing levels. This is a powerful tool that when paired with traditional public health surveillance can help us identify where the ca- disease is spreading and how best to distribute resources. We've also made significant progress in syndromic surveillance defined by the ability to identify symptoms and cases that are suggested of, of COVID-19
0: disease. So essentially, uh, you know, these, these are the surveillance moves. This is what they're doing. Generally speaking, the numbers are uh, somewhat lower. Uh, Things have improved somewhat as far as that goes. Let's listen to another briefing. Dr. Fauci will discuss critical to getting people the highest level of protection. With that, over
2: to you, Dr. Fauci. Thank you very much, much, Jeff. What I'm going to do now over the next couple of minutes is to just build on what Jeff said and talk to you based on real data why it is so critically important to get booster shots. I'm going to talk about laboratory data, clinical trial data, and real world data. Next slide. So there are multiple, and I can't show them all in vitro studies that show that COVID-19 vaccine booster doses markedly increase the neutralization of variants, including what we're dealing with currently, namely Omicron. Next slide. This is the slide that shows the genomic mean titer of antibody, namely the proteins that neutralize the virus. If you look at the far left-hand side of the slide, seven months after people receive a second dose and before the booster, look how low the response is to Omicron, which is the bar that has the red circles it's 23 one month after the booster, it goes way up into the highly protective zone of 850 and even six months after the booster, it is still at a high level of 136 way above what it was seven months after the second dose. So that's representative laboratory data. Next slide. Now, a randomized controlled clinical trial show the dramatic impact of the booster dose in preventing symptomatic disease. And the data are really striking. I'll show you one clip of that on the next slide. As you can see in red, are individuals who've gotten two doses. It says placebo, but it's two doses without the booster. And this is a Pfizer study but it really holds true with other products like Moderna. If you look at the result in blue of the cumulative incidence of COVID-19 following a booster shot, the difference is dramatic. Next slide. Now we'll move to real world effectiveness studies showing that booster doses reconstitute the waning protection especially against severe disease, hospitalization, and death. So next slide. So here, we look at individuals less than six months after the second dose, and on the far left, you see when you're dealing with Delta, it's 90. When you're dealing with Omicron, it's 81. But more than six months after the second dose, it wanes with Omicron to 57, holding up a bit better with Delta. But after the third dose, You get protection at 90% with Omicron, which is even better than after six months after the second dose. Again, another example of the critical importance of boosting. Next slide. Here's another way of looking at it. When you look at symptomatic disease and hospitalizations, again, when you're dealing with Omicron on the far left, the protection against symptomatic disease is quite low at week 25 following two doses. If you look at the boost, it goes up substantially to 40%, but the critical data are on the right-hand part of the slide. If you look at hospitalizations and look at two doses of the Pfizer BioNTech, either at two to four weeks or 10 to 14 weeks, it's still way up there at 75%.
0: So Fauci basically is justifying the uh, boost, and of course justifying the uh, total uh, program that uh, uh, they have been doing um, at at the White House uh, under under the uh, National uh, uh, COVID Management Program of, of the United States. So let's uh, listen now to Morgan Cheyenne Hasslet at ABC News. The question. Hi,
3: thank you. Um, Dr. Olenski, you mentioned the specific benchmarks on hospitalization that you are looking to for when it will be a good time to change some of this guidance around masking, both in schools and generally in public for adults. What exactly will that benchmark be? Right. So Cheyenne, we, um, you know, in part of our review of the surveillance, we look at wastewater, we look at cases, um, we look at hospitalizations, we've been reporting hospitalizations, we look at deaths, and of course, those decisions are made at the local level. But at this time, we continue to recommend masking in areas of high and substantial transmission. Um, that's much of the country right now in public indoor settings. And so we're, of course, taking a close look at this in real time, and we're evaluating rates of transmission of uh, as well as rates of severe outcomes um, as we look at um, updating and reviewing our guidance.
1: Next question, please. Victoria Knight of Kaiser Health News.
3: Thanks so much for taking my question. Um, So I've been talking to people who are immunocompromised, people who are disabled, living with chronic illnesses, and they're all telling me that they're feeling like they are being left behind, especially in light of a lot of states lifting their mask mandates and they're feeling like their needs are not being considered moving forward after Omicron. So what is your message to them? What do you expect them to do? Do they need to just stay in their houses? What is your message to people like that?
0: Dr. Walensky?
3: Um, right. So, this is among the considerations that we take into account as we work on all of our recommendations. We, of course, have to make recommendations that um, are, uh, you know, relevant for New York City and rural Montana. We have to make recommendations that are relevant for public, but also for the public who is immunocompromised and and disabled. And so that the, all of those considerations um, are taken into account as we work um, on our
2: guidance.
0: So essentially, they're uh, dealing with the uh, changes, uh, but obviously, it is very hard for for people in the uh, COVID Task Force and and those in the uh, uh, NIH, as well as uh, the uh, Bureau of Food and Drug, and of course the CDC, to suddenly just give up all the control they've been having over these past few months. Uh, they 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 seem to you know still push on their point of view, uh, regardless of of what the people themselves want because they say they know better. Uh, There may be some factual part to them knowing a little bit more because of their skill set. However, at the end of the day, it is a nation that is run by the people, and uh, the, the government health professionals have to adjust when, in fact, health professionals themselves, nurses, doctors, medical workers, technicians, first responders, and others are choosing and are repeatedly saying that that it is not as bad as the clinical studies of what many of these groups say so that said that's what's happening now again there's going to be a more wider nationwide rollback on many of these policies keep tuned to of course the uh various different uh you know uh areas that that you can look at on this topic and uh learn more as uh, things uh, continue to roll forward as things move on. I'm Mike of New York, and that has been our updated podcast tonight. We'll see you in the morning with more. Have a pleasant tomorrow, New York and the world beyond.
4: Uh, Often we talk about Rising crime. We talk a lot of statistics. For example, uh, last year in Milwaukee there were 194 murders. Uh, as I prepared to give some remarks yesterday, uh, got the stat that there, there were 26 murders already this year. That's an 86 percent increase. Unfortunately, last night there were two more murders. Murders. So now it's up to 28. 73 law enforcement officers were intentionally killed in the line of duty last year. That's the highest it's been since 1995. We had three police officers shot in a two-week period at the end of January. Those are just some of the statistics, and I'm sure you've heard a lot more on the floor here today. But one thing I don't think we talk about enough are the victims. I heard uh, President Biden's press secretary, Jen Psaki, last week, I guess she's monitoring different uh, TV stations and she she remarked that uh, one commentator was was talking about soft on crime consequences. And she giggled and said, what does that even mean? Well, I'll talk about what it means. That's an article in uh, Just the News a couple days ago had some heartbreaking examples of those consequences. Last week we held an event about the open border, about the catch-and-release policies of this administration, record levels of people coming to this country illegally, and what that represents from a standpoint of national security and homeland security and crime. In Alabama's Chilton County, Two illegal immigrants, ages 27 and 28, had been charged in the murders of three adults found shot and burned in an SUV. In in, in another recent case, a Florida father who believed he was taking in a 16-year-old migrant minor from Honduras. A good Samaritan was killed by that migrant, who turned out to be much older and involved in crime. In Florida, A five-year-old girl riding in her mother's car was crushed to death when an illegal immigrant from Honduras crashed into the car. The driver admitted he got into the car after drinking six cans of 32-ounce beers. In Harris County, Texas, an illegal immigrant from El Salvador is charged with exiting his vehicle during a routine traffic stop and fatally shooting the sheriff's deputy in the face. Those are just a few examples of the consequences of soft on crime policies. Those are crimes that were committed by illegal immigrants that take advantage of the catch-and-release policies on the border. But we're not only just experiencing catch-and-release on the southern border. We also have catch and release in our criminal justice system. These no-bail, low-bail policies promoted by generally Democrat district attorneys in cities governed for decades by Democrats. We had a tragedy in Waukesha, Wisconsin. It never should have happened. This was during the Waukesha Christmas Parade. When children lined up on the street, on the curb, waiting to see Santa Claus, instead, they saw a slaughter. Six innocent people lost their lives. Sixty-two people were injured, their lives forever altered. And it didn't have to happen. Because the murderer had been let out on a thousand-dollar bail after having run over the mother of his child, with that same SUV. That is the result, that crime, those six innocent victims, those 62 innocent victims who were injured, their family members, their loved ones, are the consequences of soft on crime policies of Democrat governance. So as horrific as those six murders were, as horrific as the 62 injuries were, what I can't get out of my mind are those little children sitting on the curb, waiting to see Santa, and instead witnessing the slaughter. How do they ever recover from that? Is that something that Jen Psaki ever thinks about? Is that something that President Biden ever thinks about? As Jen giggles about the consequences. These are serious consequences. We need to get tough on crime. We need to put violent criminals in jail, leave them in jail so they don't create more victims. With that, Madam President, I yield the floor.